Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 70, produced 17 August, 2020. While tartan may be recognized as the national dress of Scotland, it is not of entirely Scottish origin. Harris tweed, on the other hand, is, in fact, Scotland's homegrown fabric. This tweel, or twill, has been woven by hand for domestic and local use by inhabitants of the Outer Hebrides for the past few hundred years. Today, Harris tweed is found from island cross to fashion catwalks to couture collections of the likes of Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, Tommy Bahama, and others. In recent years, it's even become popular for interior design use as curtains, cushions, upholstery, and accessories. I'm Glenn Moyer, and in a moment, we'll chat with Lorna McCauley, CEO of the Harris Tweed Authority, to learn more of Harris Tweed, Scotland's homegrown fabric. It's all coming up right here, Under the Tartan Sky. Are you .scot yet? .scot is the domain for the worldwide community of Scots. It became available to the public in late 2014 and is used by the Scottish Government and Parliament, the National Health Service in Scotland and thousands of other organisations and individuals around the globe. .scot doesn't mind where you live or what kind of Scottish connection you have. If you're Scottish by birth, heritage or affinity, or an association that practices and promotes Scottish arts and culture, or a business with some kind of Scottish connection, then .scot is for you. Best of all, it's easy to sign up to. Simply visit domains.scot, choose your domain name, and you're off and running. And by the way, if you're just looking for a wee blether, our email service will help you do that too. .scot, be part of it. Ever since Adam and Eve found their first fig leaves, man has sought to create clothing for protection from his environment, using whatever materials could be found to hand. In the Western Isles of Scotland, where the climate can be cold, wet, and harsh, residents turn to the wool of their sheep for handmade clothing. After satisfying their own needs, this warm, hard-wearing homespun cloth was often traded or used as a sort of currency to barter for other needed commodities. Known as tweel, Scots for twill, it would, by accident, later become known as tweed. In the 1800s, this fabric would even find its way to the aristocracy of London, and its popularity would birth a cottage industry that thrives to this very day, including a trademark that is the oldest continually used mark in British history. Harris tweed is also the only fabric in the world governed by an act of the UK Parliament. Adopted in 1993, the Act also set forth the Harris Tweed Authority, replacing the Harris Tweed Association dating to 1909. The authority is the guardian of the cloth and its trademark orb. It exists to promote and maintain the authenticity, standard, and reputation of Harris Tweed. The authority oversees production and inspection of the cloth and eventually awards the certification allowing fabric to be marked as Harris Tweed. Lorna McCauley is CEO of the Harris Tweed Authority. 
She came to the role some 11 years ago after working with the Highlands and Islands Enterprise, an economic development agency for that region. She was then the first woman placed in a management position in the Harris Tweed industry. Recently, she was kind enough to chat with me about this renowned cloth, the authority, and the industry. So I first asked Lorna to share with us the origins of the cloth that we know today as Harris Tweed. There has been evidence of weaving in the island since, since the 16th century. Um, you can imagine you know, these were fairly sparse, uh, difficult islands in which to, to make a living. Um, however, in the approximately 1840s, um, the, the, the Count and, and Countess of Dunmore moved to the Isle of Harris. And in particular, the, the Countess of Dunmore, Catherine Herbert, her name was, um, she befriended many of the locals and she saw you know, the craft of weaving happening in homes. And to give something back to her new community, she ordered um, a commissioned fabric from the, the local peasant people for the castle in which she and, and the Count lived in. And... Um, and you know that that you know brought great and much needed economic activity to to Harris at the time, just providing cloth uh, at a at a small but nonetheless commercial level to to the the castle that the the lord and lady were were moving into. However, very very quickly after moving to Harris, um, Lord Dunmore died, and Lady Catherine on um, settling his estate and travelling back and forth from London, which as you can imagine nowadays is a one hour flight, but in those days must have been, you know, a two or three day uh, yeah. journey. Um, she began, and for want of a better expression, marketing the cloth to her wealthy and aristocratic friends in London. She began to market the cloth that the locals were making to her, her friends and, and fellow aristocrats in, in London and, and would come back to the island with orders which then she would take away on her next trip. And so an industry was, was born. And so uh, to this day, and we're still very much in touch with the, the Dunmore family, um, the, the all credit is given to, to them for, for starting um, this industry. Indeed, uh, Lady Catherine Herbert, uh, she paid for two local ladies uh, known as the McLeod sisters, or who later became known as the Paisley Sisters, she paid for them to travel to the town of Paisley, just outside Glasgow, to learn more about weaving and dyeing and spinning and to come back and cascade these new skills to, to other islanders. And and, and really from, from there, as I say, an industry was born. In its very infinite stages, the cloth was also being used to weave clothing for the islanders. It was almost a peasant's cloth, wasn't it? That's correct, Glenn. Yes, it, it really was. It was by necessity, uh, hard wearing, warm uh, from the sheep's back. And uh, it, it was for, for peasant uh, outdoor clothing and, and warmth. And but as I say, um, Lady Catherine, you know, saw the opportunity for for interestingly, and it's come full circle. And we'll maybe talk about that again in a moment. She saw the opportunity for curtains and interior wear for the castle. And indeed, clothes for the gillies and uh, land workers that she, that she employed, and that's uh, how how it progressed from being um, you know, personal protective wear for the 
for for the islanders to to uh, the industry we know today. I read in some of my research that the word tweed happened by accident, that it was almost like a misprint of the word, I think, twill, which was the, the Scots Gaelic word for twill. Uh, and so is it in a sense true there really is, or, or prior to that, there was no such thing as tweed? Um, that That's that's what's said in, in folklore. That's certainly uh, <laughs> the, 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 the story that, that we work to as well. Um, I, I have to say, I think the river tweed um, was 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 you know obviously another dynamic to to that, um, but I, I I think the stronger story is certainly that of a, a misinterpretation of of the word twill, which is of course you know a, a weaving term. Okay, you mentioned a moment ago about how. Lady Catherine had seen the benefit of tweed, not only for clothing, but also for interior use. Tweed's been a very durable and fashionable fabric for clothing for decades on, I guess now. But am I right in thinking that more recently, it's seen widespread use for household furnishings, as you said, curtains, uh, cushions, upholstery, that sort of thing. Is it still primarily a fashion cloth or is its use as an interior design fabric now sort of overtaken that role for Harris Tweed? Um, I'd hesitate to say overtaken, but certainly the growth in other and different applications for use of Harris Tweed has, has grown hugely over the last perhaps eight to ten years. Um, men's wear, um, traditional men's sports jacket was absolutely the mainstay of the Harris Tweed industry through its through its um, heyday in the sixties. Um, we live, however, today in a world of central heating, of uh, public transport, and, and global warming, performance fabrics, um, and and I, I think you know to a certain extent a casualisation in dress as well, particularly uh, men's dress, and and I think you know we accept and acknowledge that um, perhaps men do not. Um, dawn as they did in the 60s their wool sports jacket of a day and so our industry has had to adapt and and innovate uh, whilst absolutely keeping to its values and its definition and we'll maybe talk about that again as well as the interview goes on but um, we have absolutely had to um, develop and adapt and uh, interior furnishings women's wear household fabrics, accessories uh, have, have, have been just a, a tremendous and, and, and really important area, area of growth for us. I think you've hit on an interesting point, and it's certainly true that men don't dress formally as they did at one time. I was struck by that just uh, a few days ago, watching the, the splashdown of the SpaceX mission to the International Space Station because the uh, the anchor of the television news coverage, at least here in the United States, was dressed in an Oxford shirt, sleeves rolled up, collar open, jeans and sneakers. And when I was a youngster and then first began watching America's Space Program with the likes of Walter Cronkite, you would never have seen Walter Cronkite dressed that way. And so I think it's it's a valid point you make that the idea of wearing a Harris Tweed jacket for the man is not nearly as prominent today, perhaps, because we just dress far more casually. So I guess that's been a large part in driving this change or the adaptation of the industry to include interior uh, fashion and design in the use of the Harris Tweed product. 
That's absolutely right, and your example is 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 really a good one. Now, you know, we 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 often take our our leads from those we see in the media and on TV, and there has been a you know a, 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 you know an absolute casualization in dress in, in those we see. Um, I think uh, just to put this in context, um, Harris Tweed production saw its peak in 1966 with 7.6 million yards of cloth leaving this small island to its its global destinations to be turned largely into men's jackets. Um, the industry sadly saw its uh, lowest ebb in 2009 with just 450,000 metres of cloth leaving the island. And, and you know, that was almost the point of, of, of non-continuation. You know, that was really the point where we had to decide whether this industry was viable going forward. But at that point, we also saw that we had to acknowledge that that change in how people live and how people dress had happened in the years, perhaps, where the industry was sleeping. And, you know, we have looked at our ourselves and looked at our production um, and without, as I say, changing these core values of 100% pure new wool made here in the Outer Hebrides, um, we've looked at our colours, our weights, our, our handle. And, and devised a, a palette of cloth, a, a, a suite of fabric that can be used hard wearing on sofas, can be used in windows but not fade, can be used as a gateway to Harris Tweed in a bag or a fashion cap, a, a dog bed. You know, not everybody wants to wear wool, but people recognise Harris Tweed enough and have enough brand recognition of it and brand loyalty to it to want some of it in their lifestyle and and we had we had to work uh, with other and different brands and applications to 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 remain um remain viable and relevant you talked about the evolution of the fabric and one of the things that amazes me about harris tweed is i've i've seen harris tweed i guess and not really known that i was looking at harris tweed because i've seen harris tweed done in uh, what I would describe as a tartan pattern. And so my question, I guess, is Harris Tweed can be designed and woven as a tartan, but tartan is not necessarily Harris Tweed. You're absolutely correct. And uh, it, it causes great confusion to, to, to people. Um, so the, as, as you'll know, there is a, a register of tartans. And you and I, if we are so inclined to do, we can design a new pattern and, and apply to register it as a tartan. Um, and you, the designer of, of tartans, existing and new, will come to the Hattitude industry with um, sometimes a, a very sophisticated CAD drawing and ask for that pattern to be recreated in Hattitude. Um, and with the limitations of the looms we use, we are usually able to produce an exact replica of tartans, new and existing, uh, but not always. Um, there are a limitation of the number of, of um, warp threads that are in a, in a Harris Tweed pattern. And, but if it can be done in Harris Tweed um, on the loom, it, it can be done in Harris Tweed and registered as, as, a, Harris, as a tartan with the, the Tartans Authority. And that's hugely, that's of great interest to prestigious buyers to have a, a, a Harris Tweed tartan cloth. That, that, that's, that's very nice. 
I, I was about to say you've certainly piqued my interest because I have my own personal tartan that I had designed and woven in the Highlands, and now I'm quite intrigued with the the prospect of perhaps having it done as a Harris tweed fabric. Is there any competition, and maybe competition isn't the right word, but um, between tartan and Harris tweed, tartan is, is so often considered to be the national fabric or the national dress of Scotland, and yet in reality, Harris Tweed has much stronger origins in Scotland than Tartan does. Is there a friendly rivalry, maybe is the right word, between the Tartan industry and the uh, the Harris Tweed industry, or does anything like that even such exist? Um, I, I, no, I, I don't think there is, there is any rivalry <laughs> at all. Uh, we are a tiny, tiny industry. Um, we work closely with our friends in the wider Scottish uh, textile sector, tartan, weaving generally, and cashmere, of, of course, knitting and, and cashmere. Um, and, and I have to say, Harris Tweed, the Harris Tweed industry needs to be confident in being what it is. It is something a bit different from all the others. If we, if we became like all the others, we wouldn't be Harris Tweed. We have to stand apart and say, well, we are this rather weird and wonderful industry set us aside, set apart by our geography, set apart by a legal definition, set apart by this uh, act of parliament and this legal framework that's, that, that defines us. And we, um, we can only ever, because of the, the way in which the cloth is woven by hand, by weavers at their own home, we can only ever produce... Um, you know, a finite amount. There's no switch we can flick that says if if you know if the if the world wanted X million meters a year, we just couldn't rise to it. And and we have to be really secure and and confident in that and saying that's what we are. We're we we support our um machine woven colleagues in the tartan sector um, throughout Scotland. We work with them. We stand with them when we go to international trade fairs and, and all of that. And as I say, you know, we love when we get asked to uh, to recreate a, 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 a heritage tartan or a new tartan. Um, but but they, they are different. They are different segments of the, of the textile market. Well, let's talk about the legal aspect of Harris Tweed for a moment then. It is the only fabric in the world that is protected by an act of parliament. Now, other Scottish products, Scotch whiskey, for example, has legal protections, um, but nothing like an act of parliament. How did that come about and why is that so important? Well, um, the visionaries in the start of, of the 1900s who Created the Harris Tweed Association, which was the which was the regulatory body prior to the Harris Tweed Authority. Um, these were really dark and tough times in the Outer Hebrides. At the turn of of of, of 19, 1906 really is the first records we have of the association coming together. And I'm always struck by, um, you know, these men as they were at the time, um, coming together and having the vision and the wisdom to say they had to protect what they had built up over the previous 50 or 60 years since the days of, of, of Lady Catherine Herbert. And um, they recognised that if they didn't do something uh, uh, then around trying to keep the industry on, on, in, the, in the island, and, and at that time it was just on Harris, um, that they were liable to lose it, either to Stornoway, the main town here in Lewis, 
or, 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 or worse, off-island, and it would no longer become something that was so vital to the Harris economy. And I, I you know, I'm always struck that they, they didn't have the wisdom of, of seeing the internet or Alibaba or Taibo or eBay. And, you know, they, they, they made these, you know, really, really ambitious decisions at a time when, when, you know, things must have been really difficult and, 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 you know, arguably quite primitive in, in, in those days. So that the application to the Board of Trade for the Harris Tweed Certification Mark was made in 1909, awarded in 1911. It remains the longest or oldest continuously used certification mark in British history. Bass Beer is actually number one, but they have ceased trading during both World Wars. Harris Tweed um, Certification um, Mark continued through both wars. So we hold that uh, that acute uh, credential of being the longest uh, continuously used trademark. And and I, I just um I'm I'm just in awe of, of the the wisdom of, of that Harris Tweed Association um to, to apply for that certification mark um and protect something that they saw was was theirs. And then all through history uh, in the 30s and again in the 1960s there were fairly major legal challenges to uh, the Harris Tweed Certification Mark where attempts were made to take it off island, arguing that it would be bigger and better and more successful and more lucrative to be made off island. And that was perhaps the case. But each time, thankfully, um, the case was fought and won to keep the industry uh, in the island. And that culminated in, in 1964 with a, you know a, a really major Harris Tweed case that that um, confirmed and really set in stone the definition of Harris Tweed as being a cloth that's dyed, spun, woven, finished in the Outer Hebrides, and um, and 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 that remains the, the case today. But that was enshrined in law in 1993 and the passing of the Harris Tweed Act when it was felt that it needed to be taken further, yet further than the ruling of the 64 case to take it to to to, to statute. And, um, and you know, it is a, a really, in the UK, it's a hugely powerful framework of legislation to have for any brand. Um, however, you know, it, it, its shortcoming is that it doesn't protect us out with the shores. The, the Act doesn't protect us out with the shores of the UK. But what we do have is, uh, for the size of our industry, uh, we have a mighty impressive portfolio of trademarks and certification marks, collective marks, European marks, all around the world. And um, that really is the envy of, of, of other you know, brands, heritage brands, textile brands and others, that, that we've been able to, to build this uh, ring of protection around what is a small but... Um, uh, you know, it fights above its above its weight in terms of the protection <laughs> it has to pass. Yeah, that's a good analogy, fighting above its weight. That's interesting, though, to hear you speak in that regard, because not to get into politics, um, but as you were referencing, there have been cases in, in the past in history where because the industry is finite, because it is woven on the islands there by individual weavers, and there has been the concept that, well, if it were taken, for example, onto the mainland of Scotland, opened up to other textile uh, weavers, it, you could produce so, so much more, so, it, so sales could be bigger, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And there was even a case, as I recall, um, maybe it's the one you were referring to back in the 60s, when American textiles have looked at Harris Tweed and went, wow, we'd like to get our hands on that. Um, Brexit is looming. And one of the big talks uh, that I read as an American watching what's happening to the UK with regard to Brexit is, of course, the proposed US-UK trade deal that Boris Johnson and Donald Trump are touting as a benefit of Brexit. Is there any fear that Harris Tweed might face a new challenge to its legal protection and its its exclusivity, I guess, would be the good word. I think that's a, a very real and, and valid scenario. Um, I, I think we live in, in really uncertain times in, in this regard at the moment. Um, indeed, you know, some other um, Scottish or, or UK products, uh, wool and jumper knitted products have been subject made subject to, to the new tariffs. Uh, thus far, Harris Tweed has, has sailed under the, the radar, uh, but it's a very real concern and it's a very real possibility. And uh, it, it seems ludicrous that, uh, you know, an argument that's around, uh, I think it's aircraft, you know, should risk something as 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 you know, as, as loved and as, as precious to consumers as, as Harris Tweed and Whiskey and other much-loved Scottish products. And, uh, you know, we, we will be working, you know, with government and, and with Scottish Whiskey Association and others to ensure that, uh, that, that these things don't come to, to bear. And they would be just devastating uh, for our industry. Harris Tweed, of course, is protected by its orb trademark. Any piece of Harris Tweed you have comes with that logo. And I know that the association is is really the guardian of that. And there are very strict rules as to um, who can use that and apply it to products. What's the significance and a little of the history behind the orb trademark? Yes, the, the Harris Tweed Authority are, are indeed the owners and the custodians of the Orb trademark on behalf of the people of Greater Hebrides. Nobody owns Harris Tweed. The Harris Tweed Authority are simply its, its, its guardians. And that is you know, a privilege and a responsibility. Um, and, and we do we, we, we fiercely protect uh, the use of, of the trademark. Um, again, much much like the the story of, of Tweed and Tweedle, it's, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a myth around what, what happened uh, and where the origins of the trademark uh, design came from. And unfortunately, uh, the truth is all the design paperwork which was submitted to the Board of Trade in, 19, uh, in the period 1906 to 1909 were lost in the, in the Blitz, in the, in the Board of Trade office was blown up during during the war and, and all that design paperwork was lost. However, you know, the orb um, a, a appears to to come from the royal um, connection of the Dunmore family. Um, the Maltese cross um, it appear, that sits on top of the orb on our, our trademark um, appears to refer to strength and durability and longevity and and, and and these kind of uh, adjectives. Um, there's also another argument that talks about the the cross being the multi cross being more about the sort of religious backgrounds of of the island. Again, it's it's one of those things we'll never know. Uh, we're so blessed to have such a beautiful mark. It's it's a a beautiful visual. It's got um, still enjoys iconic recognition. Um, 
you'll be aware that maybe you'll be aware that the Harris Street Authority uh, was in a long and, and protracted battle with Vivian Westwood when she chose to use an orb uh, for her logo. Uh, she, she uses an orb that sits within, a, if you like, a Saturn's ring. And, and we had a long and, and very uh, difficult legal challenge for many years um, with, with, with Vivian Westwood's organisation, which, again, is you know, much bigger, much wealthier uh, than ever the Harris Tooth industry would be. And, um, you know, we were able to, to we weren't able to stop her using it, but we've been able to come to an agreement with, you know, a mighty organisation like a mighty wealthy uh, organisation like that um, to to protect our rights. So we're we're still, you know, never complacent, but we're very um, confident in the in the the brand loyalty and the recognition of that that really beautiful graphic mark we have, we hold. Well, it's certainly the case in the fashion world that famous trademarks are often, uh, particularly in today's global economy, are often counterfeited. Um, you know, there are fake Rolex watches, uh, Gucci bags, Prada shoes, on and on and on. Has Harris Tweed ever been victim to counterfeiters? Um, it, it's, again, something we're um, concerned about and, and never complacent about. Um, we have really, in my time in the authority, we have limited um, experience of out and out malicious counterfeiting. Uh, we have seen examples and we continue to see examples of wrongly described uh, cloth, wrongly described garments uh, on the internet. So one might see a, 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 a gents jacket in shades of brown, perhaps with that overcheck, um, and it will be described as Harris Tweed. And when we peel back the layers of our investigation on that, it it is it's simply come from, you know, often a fairly junior um, person in the marketing department who who thought that anything brown and tartan was Harris Tweed, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and it goes back somewhat to our discussion about uh, tartans and confusion um, earlier, and um, and but I would say we're not naive to the 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 dominance of China in textiles and counterfeiting. And, and you know, we, we are very, we have very sophisticated search software now, which scans all these online platforms for any use of the words Harris Tweed. And if we, if we see Harris Tweed name being used inappropriately, we call on that trademark portfolio and we get it taken down immediately and, and again that's that's about us um, punching up above above the weight of a small rural island um industry in, in, in a very global um, sales marketplace and uh, but but limited limited uh, evidence of counterfeiting of cloth we have we have seen some some concern around um malicious counterfeiting of the labels but uh, we responded to that by um Maybe two years ago, we designed a new label, which is um, packed with um, security measures uh, that can't be seen by you and I and the human eye. And um, and we're really, really comfortable that that has, that has stopped that problem. 
Obviously, Harris Tweed is protected by the label, but are, are there are there key things that a consumer should look for to be sure the label is genuine? Now, you're telling me there are some secret things that can't be seen by the by the naked eye. I, as a consumer, am about to buy a piece of fabric that is labeled Harris Tweed. How can I be sure I'm getting the real thing? Um. Well, I, I think you would we'd want to signpost you to to look at the Harris Tweed Authority website, where there are uh, some uh, simple guides to what to look for when you're buying Harris Tweed. And um, the label you you should be able to buy now. There there was a a time allowed for the old label to to fade out of production, but now I think what the the main thing I would encourage anyone to look for is that the the base of the label, the, the, the silver base of the label um, has a herringbone weave to it. And that's a weave that's actually quite difficult to recreate by, by um, counterfeiters. Um, so something you're buying, just look to ensure that there's quite a definite uh, herringbone. So that's a, you know, a, a, a sort of weave in the shape of a W. Uh, uh, going across the grey silver background to, to the label, um, and and just to to if any doubt at all to cross reference that with the labels you'll see on the Harris Street Authority website. Okay, uh, let's go back a little bit to the the fabric itself for just a few minutes. As you mentioned, it, it started literally as the people on the islands themselves weaving a fabric for their own um, their own use. Um, how does one today become a weaver of uh, Harris Tweed? Is it something that anyone on the islands uh, can choose to take up if they wish to? It's a very good question. Um, so, so growing up in the islands here, um, the Harris Tweed industry was not considered to be an industry that was particularly attractive mm. for a young person to go into. And I, I think that's the same in the textiles industry throughout throughout the world. Um, it was, the hazard industry was characterised by highs and lows, payoffs, fairly poor working conditions, fairly poor pay, certainly uh, not progression and reward in the way one would, would expect. And, and certainly for me growing up here, and, and my parents um, obviously wanted the best for, for me and my sister, um, we, the last thing they would have wanted for us was to, to, to go into the hardest food industry. And, and if anything, I can take away from my time in, in, in managing the hardest food industry um, of today is that I am so thrilled that today the hardest food industry is considered to be a career of choice by young islanders. Um, it, we have databases of the most talented and the most aspirational and, and uh, qualified young people wanting to work in the hardest industry. They see a sexy, attractive global sector on their own doorstep and they want to be part of it and they recognise that there are blue collar jobs, there are weaving jobs, there are marketing jobs, legal jobs, accounting jobs, sales jobs, uh, graphic design um, and, and that that's exciting for a small island like this to be able to offer that kind of opportunity. Weaving has historically been a skill that's been passed from father to son. Um, and we recognised uh, a number of years ago that that was becoming difficult in the face of other opportunities, out-migration from the island, um, and we needed to lower the average age of the weaving workforce 
And so we started to run um, mentoring programs and courses. And we realized quickly, actually, that the, 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 the mentoring program where uh, Experience Weaver was matched with a new entrant weaver was a much more successful entry to the industry than ever a course, you know, a laying on a 12 week course where at the end of it you're cast out to your own weaving shed in rural uh, village somewhere in the island and, and you sit there waiting for your next weed. Um, we realised that that wasn't the best approach to, to bringing new weavers into the industry, but that the mentoring uh, relationship where, which, you know, really interestingly exists long after the training finished was a much, much better way. And weaving is a really isolated uh, occupation. You, you're, you're there at your own home, you're waiting for your next work to arrive, you get on with it. Um, that mentoring relationship meant that there was, there was um, you know, contact and friendship and camaraderie and, and you know, what, what we all look for in colleagues um, inbuilt from the very start of their career in the Harvey Street industry. And it's, it's been hugely successful. And the other thing we, we also we did is we, for the first time in history, accredited that training, you know, using the, the Scottish Qualifications Authority um system of, of, of qualification accreditation you know we were able to say to a weaver you know that skill you've learned is of value it's recognized you can put it on your cv and it's, it's got a name and and that's been hugely important to just just adding um some some sort of a uh, value to to their craft it's interesting that you we discussed um the the family nature of the business and when i think of a textiles i think of a, of a huge mill giant machines computer fed that are generating you know meters and meters and meters of fabric and yet it's perhaps hard for people to wrap their head around that harris tweed literally can be and, and is woven by an individual working at their own loom in their own garden shed um it's not at all a factory process um, the weaving element is exactly as you describe. It must be, by law, done at the home of the weaver on a, on a loom on which there can be no power. They must weave it by hand or, or foot power. It's a treadle loom. But, but what's often hidden in our story, and, and it, it's something we're working on, is that the yarn production is all done in mills. There are three island mills, which are factories with machinery, uh, and, and and workforces ranging from one has 12 employees, the other one has 70 employees. Uh, and these are commercial competing businesses who, who take the order from Saks or from Brooks Brothers and they manufacture the yarn and the, they come up with a collection and go to the trade shows every year and, and get the orders. And then they pass that work out to the army of home-based weavers who weave in their own homes by hand. And then it goes back to the mill for the finishing processes of washing, um, shaping, cropping, um, and, and, and that's where actually the certification happens at the end of the process in the mill. So that there is there is mill processes, um, not dissimilar from those that you would imagine, but the weaving element by law must happen at the weaver's own home. We've talked about the herringbone pattern. We've talked about the fact that uh, Harris Tweed could be recreated um, in many instances as a tartan pattern. Is there any limit 
two colors and patterns for Harris Tweed. And I believe it, it is just as I had my own bespoke tartan designed, I could go to a weaver and have my own Harris Tweed pattern created. Is that not true? That's correct. Uh, that's correct. There are limitations in the sense um, the the mill who provides the weaver with the yarn will have does he have the does that mill have the dye colors you need for your design um but invariably that can be that can be achieved and um yes uh, you know for from for a there are three mills who generally only work with volume orders but there are a small number of what we call independent producers who work work in small volumes who would do for example a family tweed or uh, perhaps a small business, a hotel might want their own own tweed or an estate tweed, and they will work to that small, much much smaller volume uh, of meterage uh, to try and achieve exactly the the the, des- the design you're you're looking for. And weavers have a certain amount of freedom, I believe. And you'll correct me if I'm wrong in creating and selling their own products out of fabric they've woven. Uh, I know in my research for our interview, I came across the story and I've since communicated with one of your weavers, Nikki Crabtree, who has captured the the social times, if you will, and is creating Harris Tweed face masks. And, and I've purchased one from her. I'm waiting for it to be woven and, and delivered because she's she's quite been overtaken by She sold out all of her stock and she has now more orders almost than she can deal with. So uh, do you find individual weavers that are making and creating uh, individual products and selling them? And, and what's the process they have to go through in order to get their product approved to have the Harris Tweed label applied to it? Um. So, so you're absolutely right. Nikki has 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 seen the opportunity there and has been absolutely overwhelmed. And uh, uh, whilst face masks, you know, really shouldn't be a, face, a fashion accessory in these in these uh, <laughs> times, you know, the uh, a harvested one is is very comfortable. It's lined. It's warm. Um, it's dense in terms of performing its function. And Nikki has has risen to that. And it, it's 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 a it's a fun story. Um, Basically, you know, really, all, all, all a weaver of cloth who wishes to market and 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 sell his own wares really must just register with the Huddersfield Authority that he's doing so, and we then, you know, just manage the the, the use of the mark and the certification of the cloth, and and that, that that's all been and done in order and in 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 line with the definition it's not too onerous at all we we want to encourage commerce and encourage trade and um if if weavers can can you know break out and and do some new and different things as long as it's within the rules we we welcome that we've talked a lot about the industry its uniqueness in terms of the home weaving and the finite size of it from a social standpoint in light of looking at potential future trade deals, et cetera, challenges to the trademark and the exclusivity, what would be the impact on the islands uh, if Harris Tweed lost its exclusivity, if it were opened up to be woven by uh, American textile industries, uh, industries in China, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, in my view, uh, it would be an act of, of desperate um, vandalism where... Uh, it to be allowed 
that this industry that is so vital to the economic health, um, to the social fabric, to the cultural and history of these islands was to be allowed to to be taken away. Um, I'm myself a, a third generation Harris Tweed worker, and it's it's greatly more than a job. It's it's in our veins and in our blood and in our people, and it matters to us. And you know, we might do two million meters uh, in with a good wind, given the the current climate and, and all of that. With 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 a good wind, we might produce two million meters. Uh, in 2020 and um, I, I think what I you know what matters is that that is money directly into the pockets of the most fragile corners of a really fragile economy and when people are buying you know when people are making their buying decisions I am seeing a real shift in them wanting to buy things of craft and sustainability and of provenance and of quality and and that's why we have to fight fiercely to protect to keep Harris Tweed here and done in its rather weird and wonderful and quirky way. I'm sure people will say it could be done better, could be done more efficiently but it's done this way for a reason to to, to bring economic activity to one of the most fragile parts of Scotland and we do it well. Um, we've done it this way for a long time. It's a cottage industry. It's sold in a 21st century way. But um, it really matters that um, the authority exists in this guardian role to just protect it and, and keep it that way for generations to come. Because, as I said, you know, we there are young people here for whom these islands will die if young people have to go away to find employment. Um, and we, this industry, it's not the only one. There is a, a fairly buoyant aquaculture industry. There's a buoyant tourism industry. But other than that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an island economy that 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 is fragile, and we must do our part to keep keep our, our islands viable. I read a comment that I thought was quite striking, and I'd like to know your thoughts on it. And it it was simply that Harris Tweed is not trendy. It's timeless. What would you say to that? I mean to that. Um, I, I I think um, Harris Tweed can be trendy, but it can be timeless. And um, I think it is for different people, different things. Um, but it's classic. It's beautiful. But it's really important to us. My thanks to my guest, Lorna McCauley, CEO of the Harris Tweed Authority. In 2020, the days and image of coarse, scratchy tweed is long since past. Harris Tweed today maintains the qualities of practicality and longevity that it is so well known for. But it is soft, warm, comfortable, and sustainable. A growing concern in today's world of fast fashion and the waste often associated with such production. Harris Tweed comes in a variety of colors and in a range of patterns, from traditional twills to herringbones, plaids, and tartans, and with new designs emerging each season. To delve further into the story of Harris Tweed, you can first check out the Authority's website. You'll find a link to that and other resources in our show notes. 
at www.underthetartansky.scot. Next time, we'll stay in the world of textiles, returning to a subject often discussed here on the podcast as we explore the Tartan Museum and Scottish Heritage Center, found not in Scotland, but much closer to home here in the USA, in Franklin, North Carolina. I'm also pleased to announce that the podcast has joined the Podchaser community. You can now find us using the link podchaser.com forward slash tartan sky. There you can listen to current and archived episodes, rate and review the podcast at large, or even your individual favorite episodes if you wish. Of course, you can always get in touch directly by emailing info at underthetartansky.scot. Finally, what we call a teaser in the industry. There's some exciting news coming this fall as I'm bringing forward a project for the podcast that's been on the back burner for a while now. I can't say much more than that just yet, but stay tuned. I hope you'll like what we bring to you. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, I guess Alpacabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.